All right, what's up, everybody? We're starting to get some more people coming in here. If anyone has questions or wants to hop on the mic to to ask something or just like kind of chop it up, more than happy to bring people on. Like I said in the beginning, this is going to be far more of like um, a Q&A type of thing. I don't have any sort of agenda for it. I just I think the most helpful thing could be to, to just get into the specific questions and hopefully help as much as I can as it relates to like my experience throughout content creation uh, and stuff like that. And Jack, you want to say hello? Be a, be a nice I, person. I was, I was letting you rock. Okay, there we go. Well, you're quiet yourself because now we have a speaker. Okay. The Evil Raccoon. You're live on the air. What's going on? What's up, Nick? Doing? I'm doing good. Uh, I was going to ask you, how much is uh, the startup and all of this, like equipment and all that stuff? Uh, I mean, it depends on what you need. Uh, when you know, when you say startup, I'm I'm assuming you're referring to like podcast equipment, YouTube equipment. Yeah. Is it multi-person or just you? Uh, just me. Okay. Well, I genuinely think that the 4K on the iPhone is tremendous. The camera is like really, really, really good. The only thing I would make sure that you do well is get the audio, um, the audio equipment right. I think the high quality speakers right now that are more like Bluetooth that you can hook up with your cell phone, the um, road mics, they have like road mic goes and then DJI, which is the company that makes drones and stuff just came out with a new Bluetooth uh, on the go mic that has actually no wires to it. And we, I actually posted the link in the, the big content discord yesterday because someone was asking about them. Those run upwards of like $250, $300, but you can go probably underneath that price if you want to buy them like used or something off of, uh, you know, like eBay or whatever. So I think all in all, uh, the camera on the iPhone is actually tremendous. So you could use whatever phone you have. Um, and then the audio would just be like some simple mics that you can probably buy for a couple hundred dollars. Other than that, I don't, I don't really think there's much you need to put money into at the start of it. Cause you could use programs like iMovie to edit. I still use iMovie to this day and it's free. If you're, uh, if you're using like a MacBook, I'm sure there are other free softwares. If you're not using a MacBook, the only thing, the only other thing I'd be conscious of is like lighting, depending on where you're filming stuff. If you're just doing a podcast, obviously you don't have to worry about lighting, but if you are, um, if you're filming stuff for like YouTube, you can try to utilize any natural light in the setting. Um, but try not to make like a dark, damp video where it looks like you're you're being held hostage down there. Because I feel like we have enough of that shit in the I'm not even sure what industry you're in, but in the sports space in particular, especially in like the fantasy sports space. A lot of the videos that you end up um, seeing and getting into just give off the same feel where it's just like kind of somebody trapped in their room or trapped in their basement with shitty lighting and they're just like on a zoom meeting and i would try to uh separate yourself a little bit from that and lighting goes a long way so if you could just bring a lamp you know even if it's a lamp like right behind the camera that you set up that that'll go a long way for you so i don't think you need to spend a whole lot of money to be honest all right i appreciate it man i I really enjoy your content and i think what you're doing is, is great thanks dude well when you uh when you make your first piece of content drop it into the discord and i'll take a look all right, appreciate it. All right, appreciate you. Young Cody, I think you're next up. I'm going to pull you up. What's going on? Yo, what's up, Nick? Appreciate you. Um, so been listening to the big content stuff for a while, right? And you and Jack both have always 
or at least kind of push the, hey, don't focus on making money early, focus on building your brand. And then, you know, if you give up, you know, a little bit of money in the front, it'll come tenfold in the back end. My question Mm -hmm. is, is at what point do you have to start actually trying to make money? Because money fuels the mission, right? You said in the last episode, it's a tool. And it'd be a tool that I'd really like to start, you know, uh, acquiring a little bit more of. So my question is, is when do you or what do you, I guess, because it's different for everybody. What do you use to identify, hey, now it's time to either sell a product or work with advertisers and brands, stuff like that. I, I, like you said, I think a lot of it is going to be subjective. I don't think there's one right time for anyone. The first thing you said was like, when do you have to start doing it? You never have to start doing it. You, if you are someone who is relying solely on the finances from your content, then yeah, you, you put yourself in a really tough position in which you have to start making money from it. But, um, in terms of like selling the product or working with brands or sponsors, as long as you haven't put yourself in a spot where you need to start making money from it, you should only, in my opinion, make a product or work with a brand if you're really excited about doing it. I don't think making it for the sake of making it or plugging a brand, uh, plugging a, a sponsor for the sake of doing so is good advice. I don't think it's good practice and it will dilute your brand pretty tremendously upfront. So the longer you can hold off for the better, I swear to God, if you can go five years without, without doing it, that's great, but it's going to come back to how much you need money. And I also think if you're putting yourself in a spot where you need money based off of content, you're, uh, you're looking at it the wrong way, in my opinion. And and it kind of goes back to what I was talking about with the looking at money as a tool, but looking at content as like a puzzle to your life you still have to set your life up to a point where you are um, putting the content at like the center of it. Right. And you are making sure that the other parts of your life, like supplement the content until you're able to sell that product. So realistically, if you're thinking about making a product and you don't even know what you want to sell yet, that to me is a red flag of like, don't make a product because you don't even know you're not even passionate about what you're about to sell. Like you're just like thinking of, of, things off the top of your head. Like I should sell a product because this is what you're supposed to do, which I think is um, a, a, the backwards way of looking at it. Like you should only want to sell a product if you like legitimately deep down want to sell a product. Like you think it's really, really valuable to your customer base, to your audience. Otherwise, if you hedge the other side of that, it's going to put you like really, really um, behind the eight ball. But I'll, but I'll, I'll ask you to get a little bit more specific. Do you have a certain like product in mind that you think uh, or that you're thinking about building and selling out? So what I'm more, I guess the affiliate marketing is kind of what I'm leaning more towards because I make a lot of college football content and I would love to start going to games, going to venues, doing that kind of stuff, filming the content there and doing stadium reviews, what I would do if I were going to, you know, hey, here here are the 10 things you need to do if you go watch a Nebraska football game or an Iowa football game, right? Yeah. The issue that comes with that is, there's a cost associated with going and doing these things. So the, where I'm, I don't need the money to say, you know, buy a new truck or that kind of shit. It's more of the, the better, the more money that I can bring in, the better the content gets. And I want to try to do more better content. If I can cut down on some editing time by purchasing a software or that kind of stuff, that's where it's, I don't need the money to, for the sake of needing the money. I'd like to be able to bring in some cash through either 
brand partnerships or like affiliate deals with like the seat geek is one that I've signed up for mm-hmm. where the, the, I can use that to make the content better. That makes sense. I think when I think about um, more like lifestyle content like that, when you're talking about going to the, here's the thing, you, you can't force a brand to, to like you like a relationship. You can't force a significant other to like you. If the partnership doesn't add up for them, you're going to have to go to brands. What I would, what I would suggest is make that content. And then that is almost like a built up piece of portfolio that you can now share with these brands and say like, Hey, is this something that you'd be interested in sponsoring? Because a lot of that type of content is cool. And if the brand has enough money where they're looking to actually uh, push out brand awareness, they're like, okay, we do like one of our goals is to be looked at as like a cool internet company. They might want to link up with you like that, but there are a lot of brands that work in the space right now that are just um, that are just concerned with like direct response. We're just uh, concerned with, signing with influencers like yourself that will bring in direct users to their platform and that type of content you going to the stadiums and putting a brand in the middle of it as like an ad read is really really difficult to get direct responses and i'm not saying it's wrong and i'm not saying it's not a good brand play long term but a lot of the companies and brands in the space are only concerned with direct response stuff so for instance we do the this draft weekend in New York City every year where we bring out 11 people to um, to New York. We stay in an Airbnb together and we do a live fantasy draft on like the Friday and then we hang out for the rest of the weekend. It's a really, really cool experience. But when we first started doing it, we didn't have sponsors for it. We just did it because it felt right and it felt like a whole lot of fucking fun. And now we have companies like Underdog that are sponsoring that weekend for us and taking out a very large chunk of the financial um, burden for us that weekend. And partly it's because we've obviously proven to them over the years that we can bring in a lot of users to their platform. The other part of it is like, they really, really like the content. They think it's unique. They think it's cool. And that's kind of the energy that they want to be aligned with. So I would almost work backwards because you don't very, very, very few creators have the leverage to be like, I'm like, don't worry about my content. I'm cool. Just trust me, pay me to do this content. Like you need to show that you're capable of doing it first building up the portfolio, giving them something to work with, giving them a, a, a choice whether or not to sign with you and whether or not to actually work with you. Um, that is, it, when it comes to more like fun, cool content like that, that's kind of the way I would look at it. As it relates to just like affiliate stuff, uh, the SeatGeek partnership, that, that makes sense from a um, going to like events and selling tickets and stuff that way. You have to get very, very serious and very very clear about what your value prop is in terms of like pitching your audience like what is your what is your audience gain from your partnership with SeatGeek is it a discount is it x I'm not sure what it is but a lot of this comes back to understanding what the goal of the actual partner is right because if they want direct response and you're going to a game and you know filming yourself getting drunk and interviewing people that's not going to lead to any signups for them and it's going to be it's going to end up being a bad bad partnership so um, that's kind of the advice I would give. I, I hope that was helpful as it relates to like live events. That's the experience that we've gone through as a company. It was something that we were passionate about. We did it. And once we did it, we documented everything, making sure that we have it as a portfolio. So going forward, we don't need to like try to pitch ourselves. The content does the pitching for us. Yeah, no, that I, phenomenal answer. Um, yeah, I guess we'll start going to football games, start making that content on the back end and then um, go to brands from there, you know, once we get it all edited and looking pretty, but I agree that it, it makes a hell of a lot more sense to go in and say, Hey, 
I've done this. This is examples of what I've done um, rather than saying, hey, trust me, believe in me, even though I've have limited experience in this space. So I exactly. appreciate the answer, Nick. Yeah, the, the whole content world nowadays is about building up leverage um, for yourself as a personal brand or your company's brand before asking for anything. If you if you have to be the first one to ask in a relationship, you're already behind the eight ball there. And that's how I think a lot of creators um, operate. And th they, they think that they're like entitled to something when that's just not true. And if you uh, take accountability and you act in the opposite way of the way most content creators work, you will end up coming out ahead. Um, but thank you for the question, Cody. I'm going to Nick. Let me, let me add in real quick. Uh, oh, yeah. Cause I think our snapback Monday tour is a good example of this, Cody. So we kind of came up with going to every Monday football game for content and tapping a bunch of different markets and doing man on the street and interacting with our fans, stadium reviews, et cetera. Kind of like what you're talking about. And when we initially kind of hypothesized it, we went to ESPN and said, you know, we're going to go to, if we, if we're going to go to every Miami football game, I think it would make sense to work together. Right. Uh, have a social team kind of on the ground, interacting with the people. They liked the idea, but we just never figured anything out. If we had kind of just like quit on it there, then we wouldn't have, obviously done the activation but what we decided was all right let's reframe this we are going to every monday football game here's how we're gonna do it and then people became more interested so instead of us pitching them on doing it with them it was more so like hey we're actually now doing this if you want to be involved here's how you can be involved so i wouldn't say like bluff it because we were genuinely going to do it but that could be a different way to reframe it to people uh to brands to sponsors being like yeah we're scheduled to go to this game this game this game here's all the content that you're going to get uh if you want to interact in our food review you know as a sponsor you'll get x y and z um but to nick's point if you actually go and do it like we got brands involved throughout the season, you know, instead of initially up front. And once you kind of have those videos and that content, then yeah, people no, that makes can, sense can to, visualize. To go ahead and start and then bring in as we go. Because the goal, I'm yeah. going to go to these football games. I'm going to do the stadium reviews and that stuff anyway. Right. So being able to, to use that content, even on the back end, is still going to be super helpful. So exactly. I appreciate that. Yeah. Nick. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Cody. Mr. Felix Sharp, the sharpest dressing lawyer that I know. How are we doing, buddy? Felix, you might be muted. Or maybe I'm just dumb and don't know how to use this. Jack, do you hear Felix? Because I don't. No. Okay. It, it says he's connecting. Okay. Um, and given his uh, Twitter bio, which says billionaire, you would think he'd have the highest speed Wi-Fi, but unreal. Things are pricey these days. I'm. Gonna, I think I'm gonna put billionaire in my uh, Twitter bio right now. <laughs> Is it like? Are you a billionaire? You probably have a billion cells. Me? Yeah, in your body. Yeah. 
I'm de- I mean, I'm I'm definitely a billionaire. Like no you didn't specify what. what he is. Does a billionaire imply with money? Yeah, I think a billionaire. I think anyone who lists themselves. At, well, first of all, if you're a billionaire, you don't. You'll never. You never list yourself as a billionaire. Like people <laughs> who are millionaires would say they're millionaires, but no one who's a billionaire would say they're a billionaire. I think you just yeah. take the assets. Uh... And think you what you know people that would say that? Nah, I feel like I mean I love Mark Cuban, but I, I feel like he probably it's not in his Twitter bio, but um, I'm sure like when he you know when people ask all right what is your bio, they probably put it in there. You know what I mean? Like if he was speaking uh-huh. at a conference and they were like, "What's your speaker bio?" You don't think his team would put billionaire? His team, maybe, I guess. I don't know. I feel like anyone who needs to flaunt that out publicly is probably not long for being a billionaire. For sure. But but I think Mark Cuban is is confident in himself that he knows, like, he's smart. But when you are a billionaire, I think it's like being an expert in the field, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, you're good at marketing. You're good at fucking business and making money. Get Alan up here. I think uh, our billionaire friend left. I got Alan coming up. Um, or I requested him. He requested us first, and now he's playing hard to get. What a what a strategy by him. Now I want him up bad. Um, anyone out there? Add his speaker button. Which is that? What this connecting is giving us problems. Alan, I'm here, man. Can you hear me? Okay. There we go. Let's go. What's, yeah, we. Got what's you. up, Nick and Jack? What you guys are doing here? There's no doubt. I think everybody here knows it. It's going to blow up huge. So huge service. I mean, I'm. I'm I'm a pretty far not pretty far along, but I'm along in my journey. But it's like every time I listen to the podcast, I'm like, oh fuck, I'm I'm not that far along because you guys teach me something new every time. So it's it's humbling and exciting. But my well, but my you. question for you guys is specifically about YouTube. Um, I keep going back and forth. What's the optimum length of videos? Nick, I do fantasy football as well, as you know. So mm-hmm. is it 30 minutes? Is it less than 10 minutes? Are these, uh, is it like the 55 minute lives? What's the correct mix in your opinion of video length? If, if my goal is uh, view count. If your goal is view count, then live is for sure. Not the answer. Um, I've talked about this, uh, quite a bit recently where there's a discrepancy between I think more creators in the fantasy space, but just in general need to start thinking of uh, two different types of content. There is like value content and then there's lifestyle content. And it's possible that lifestyle content can be valuable as well. And when I say lifestyle, I don't just mean, I think a lot of people probably think about like, like vlogging and, and, and that kind of stuff. When I say lifestyle, I mean more, brand building where it's a lot more about building the community. So I I do put vlogs into there, but I also put live streams into that bucket. I put, I put things that are more interactive and more, you know, deeper connection type of things into there. Those are not audience building types of content. So I would do your best to mix and match that where I would keep, especially at the start, I would keep the community building stuff, not to not non-existent and not necessarily to a minimum, but I would, balance the equation way more to the audience building type of stuff. And that would come into pre-recorded videos that are edited and uploaded and made for YouTube. And specifically in our space, you, I mean, you could look at anyone, you could see videos that work at any length from any channel. You look at the footballers, they put their hour long episodes up. Everything gets, you know, a hundred thousand views. I think fantasy pros is a great example of seeing both types of content work. They put out, Video. Some of their most popular videos each summer are literally like 
six to seven minute videos. And they also have podcasts that they put up on YouTube that are hour long and they do really, really well. Also, uh, I would, I would, I would suggest following this dude. I actually just sent this account over to um, Pete Overzek. We were talking last night. So there's a guy on YouTube. His at is YouTube liaison. So it's YouTube L I A I S O N. And I'm not actually sure if he's, I, I think he actually works for team YouTube, but people ask him about like, I don't know, I guess gaming the algorithm, but they ask him about, you know, just best tips for YouTube. And he always brings it back to like what your audience is going to enjoy most. Like a question that he got an hour ago, it said uh, from a dude named Frenzy, he said, is uploading consistently and frequently like every day, once a week, et cetera, important? The guy answered, if your audience cares about consistency, like reactions to weekly TV or daily news coverage, then yes. If you'd benefit from building skills by consciously improving aspects of your videos every time, also, yes. Otherwise, find a healthy pace and focus on making the best videos. Every time you talk about YouTube, anyone who knows about YouTube, it's always going back to what your audience wants. It's not about like gaming the system as a creator. It's not about length versus five minutes versus an hour versus an hour and a half. It's like, however you feel best expressing yourself. When I first started making YouTube videos years ago, I would make them at 60 minutes in length. Just me talking to the camera for 60 minutes. Now, my videos range anywhere from like nine minutes to 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And it's not because I'm like, oh, people don't want to watch the long shit on YouTube. It's it's just because that's how I want to make my content now. So I would I would focus on whatever makes you feel most comfortable. I would I would focus on whatever you think gets your point across the best. And you might not be like comfortable doing eight minute videos because you feel like I need to make sure that I present both sides of my argument. That's fine. Do a 30 minute video, do a 40 minute video. But I, I, I would experiment with both. See, but make sure that you're doing what you like. Make the best content. Don't worry about like view counts as it relates to right now. I think view counts can move up and down based on like the title and the thumbnail. But as it pertains to how you make the content, that is an expression of yourself. So I wouldn't change that too much up. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I appreciate it. And what's the best way to support you guys? Is it buying the draft kit? Is it like, how can everyone that's getting so much value from you guys, what's, I know share, like, and subscribe, all that stuff, but what's the best way to go a little bit beyond that? So this is what I'll say to you right now. And I know you're going to be like, oh, don't say that. But I, I genuinely, me and Jack, I think are on the same page here. I am, we are not looking for any sort of financial support for what we're doing with big content and it's not because we don't like money or we don't want money i have been preaching that if you are starting content you should be doing it only by giving out value to people absolutely for free without asking for anything for like two to three years and this is a live demonstration of us doing that like i'm going to be doing this for the next three years heads down without asking for anything and i'll tell you what happens as a result of that this is a dm that i got from actually someone in here i'm not gonna uh i'm not gonna say who it is but this is a dm i got an hour ago or so. Yo, Nick, huge fan of what you're building with big content and BDG. I've been building a sports media brand uh, for the past five years and starting to take off. Wondering if I could pay you for 30 minutes of your time for your advice on growth and monetization. I think you have such specialized knowledge on the space and can offer insight few others could, like a consulting call. And what I'm going to do for that, I'm going to get back to him and I'm going to hop on a call with him absolute for free. I'm not going to ask him to pay for anything because if me and Jack just started this podcast a few months ago and these are the DMs I'm already getting, Imagine what the opportunities are going to look like three years down the line if I don't ask for a single thing by then. Like there will be much bigger opportunities. There will be way bigger experiences for us to 
have. So going back to your point, sorry, we don't, you just showing up here and asking us questions and watching the videos and, you know, thumbs up and sharing is literally all that we could ask for. All right. Well, how how do you know what he's going to offer? Like you're saying, there's way bigger. Uh, He's like, let me get a million bucks for 30 minutes. Are you accepting that, that, Nick? I was going to offer five Bitcoin, but that's no big deal. (laughs) I I mean, Jack. I was going to ask Alan to walk around his hometown and just tell people about the pod. Uh, No, but in in all seriousness, it's just like if if you find it helpful to you, uh, there's enough room for everyone. So share with someone else that you think could also find value in it. And that's really all that – uh, plus, I don't get royalties on Nick's draft kit, so ah. <laughs> yeah, don't don't buy that. Yeah, um, no. real real quick on your original thing, um, I I agree with Nick for the most part. I'm just here to play, I don't know, devil's advocate, give a, a different kind of point of view, uh, specific to the fantasy space. Obviously, Nick knows that space a hundred times better than me, but. Live is being pushed by YouTube. They like like any industry right now, especially in the media space, having live viewers is probably 10 times more valuable than having VOD uh, users. That's why like succession finale, which is VOD, the fact that people tune in live, it was like the hottest thing. And then, you know, TV rights for sports, people who can activate live viewers is so important. So uh, YouTube is definitely pushing live, especially with their partnership with Sunday Ticket. So um, I would say if you do want to get on and do like live reactions to, all right, let's say Dalvin Cook had been traded last night. You know, a lot of people will take their time and put together a, a reaction video to that. If mm-hmm. you came and went live, there would be people who are looking for that type of content too. What should I do in Dynasty immediately? What should I do in my season long immediately type thing? So I would say that it really kind of all comes back to, you don't want to chase the viewers, right? But you do want to be where the viewers are. And if that's the type of listeners or people that you want to be hitting, then it, it is an option. Um, but, you know, the li- playing in the live game is a very tough game. You got to sit by your computer and, and then cook up a Dalvin Cook thumbnail and get live right away, get tweet out, you know, that you're live on it. So it's just things to consider. Yeah, I, I would agree that, like, those those types of content, will lead to the best subscribers but they're the most difficult to actually grow through on these platforms like if we had a youtube channel that was strictly just like vlogging and following what we were doing in here that had a hundred thousand subscribers the power of that audience would be insane and i would love to have that but it's, it's much harder to grow through that and i i think for people who are starting out it's a mix and match of more top of the funnel stuff, but still sprinkling in community building stuff like live streams. Like, I don't think you should ever cut that out completely of your, um, your content schedule, but you need to basically like, it's a privilege to be able to go live and have like, right now we have what 20,000, uh, Twitter followers. Jack has, I don't know how many he has, but he has a lot more than I do. And we have what 30 people in here, which feels really, really good based on the fact that we kind of just started big content, but you could, this type of content is a, is a privilege to have people like spend their time on demand coming up and like hanging out with you. So you build the most powerful type of audience through this stuff, but it's not necessarily like a, an audience builder. You have to mix and match. And I think the equation should lean more towards the top of the funnel in the beginning. Once you build out a strong audience and a strong following, you've earned the right, I think, to start tipping the equation a little bit to the other side.
Well, that was very helpful, guys. I appreciate it as always. And Nick, I'll make a public standing offer. Anytime you want to come on the Little Serious Show and promote this thing, we could do it anytime you want. It's always there. Anytime, just knock on my door. You're invited. All right. Appreciate you, Alan. God, let's see. Gavin? If anybody, by the way, if anyone wants to come up and speak, just uh, hit the request button. We'll get you in line. We're going to be doing this. Uh, I'll be doing this until 2 o'clock, so got like a half hour left. Gavin, you're on the uh, you're on the stage, big man. Hey, guys. How's it going? Jack, Nick. Love you guys both. Thanks for having me on for this. Uh, my question, Of course, man. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, my question is kind of like uh, – the, the first steps of kind of content creation and sort of building that, you know, first audience, that first following. Uh, and I know you hear people all the time, mm -hmm. you know, talking about, you know, the YouTube algorithm and following the TikTok algorithm, whatever it may be. And I was wondering, like those first steps in kind of making those videos, would you say you altered your content more towards trying to, you know, build the audience as fast as you can and kind of playing that algorithm, whatever that may be. So like, altering the content so it's like mostly trends and you know trending sounds or or tiktok and kind of doing altering the content to where you can grow as fast as possible and trying to just to kind of get over that initial hump and kind of making a name for yourself or would you say it was still just kind of like playing the long game and making the videos that you know you want to create even if it's not you know growing getting to like, you know, a hundred subscribers really fast or something, just kind of playing the long game and making the videos that you like and in hopes that over time you could, you will uh, kind of eventually find that following. Yeah. The way, the way I look at this, it's, it's definitely a give and take. Um, I think the platforms are pretty cool that you can hop on different trends and like insert your personality into it. The one thing I will say is that, as you build out an audience, your audience is a direct reflection of the content that you put out. It's a direct reflection of the work that you put into it. It's a direct reflection of like who you are. So if you start trying to build stuff through um, like gimmicky tactics and trends and things like that, you're going to end up building a very, uh, a very, you know, just weak audience that will leave after a certain amount of time because that stuff is not necessarily like valuable it's good again it kind of goes back to the lifestyle content i think those like gimmicky tacky things have a time and place but they should absolutely not be in my opinion like your strategy for building out your audience your the, the audience that you should build should be built from the content that you think is delivering the most value and like doing a, a trending sound could be good if you're able to intertwine it with the actual value that you are um that you're giving your audience in the better type of content, if that makes sense. So we don't, uh, we'll, we'll like mix and match different like TikTok trends that we think are funny into it, but it's only like as they come up and we're like inspired or something like makes us laugh and we think we have a good idea for it. We don't necessarily like sit around and like, Hey, you know what? We're not going to do an hour long podcast today. We're just going to do like three trending type of videos. Cause I think in the long run, that's going to hurt your brand more than it's going to actually build it. Uh, it'll be a much slower build. But that's how content is, man. Like you have to be really, really patient with what you're building here. Um, and the best things take really, really long to build. And the quicker things happen, the quicker they fall, the longer it takes to build something, the uh, more of a leash that you have when things do go sour. That's that's the way I look at it. Yeah, definitely. I right, appreciate the insight. For sure. Thanks for coming on, Gavin. Yep. 
I just want to add something that came to mind because you talk you talk about adding value a ton, Nick. And uh-huh. I'm thinking about Hallie. For those who don't know, Hallie's my fiance, and she follows a ton of like fashion bloggers and you know th- those types. And what I think about, I think they're all so stupid. But <laughs> what I <laughs> do recognize is like all they do until they've made it quote unquote is really just like review products and deliver an immense amount of value like that Mm -hmm. that's like how all of them got big it was like all right they buy this dress they try it on they share how it fits they share the price and like that's like how the majority of them blew up over time and i just don't know if if that's like too hard to replicate in any field isn't that kind of what what your belief is Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's right on. I think like you have your niche, your industry, and you're teaching about, I think the lowest hanging fruit in terms of like really being a creator is just teaching, you know, because again, I think the entertainment side of things will come out in your personality. But if you, if you make a piece of content where people, I, I think I tweeted this out yesterday, but I think the best pieces of content are the pieces of content where you come into it without a strong opinion or you're indifferent about something and you leave it and now you have an opinion on something and it could be good or bad like they might be reviewing dresses and you might leave with you might go into it and be like i don't know if i want this or i care about this and leave and and say like i know i definitely don't want it now based on however they reviewed it and i think that's just as strong as something that actually advertises the product as being good so you either come in with a strong belief and it changes the way you believe about something you believe about something or it um or it gives you uh, belief in something that you were kind of indifferent towards. So yeah, I mean, giving value is like the surefire way to keep showing up for the audience because they also stopped thinking that they're going to be sold to, you know, and that's why down the line you can, they start to become like your friend if you're just giving them value day in and day out. And then when you ask them for something, it's more of like a friendly ask than a salesman type ask. We'll get a, Alan, I'm assume I'm assuming you don't have another question. It says you're requested, but I'm just going to assume that you kind of left that up there. We're going to bring Mr. Abe Roy, absolutely like power name there. What's going on? <laughs> Appreciate it, Nick. Uh, been following you for a long time. Uh, definitely one of the guys that chirped you for your Derrick Henry takes back in the day. Um, but What do you mean? <laughs> well, I mean, we all know you're a huge Derrick Henry guy. <laughs> I was just a Deion Lewis fan, man. Yeah, 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 that's fair. That's it. Um, but my question's not uh, really fancy football related. Um, I, uh, Babe, can you do me a favor? Just speak up a little bit. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. My AirPods might take them out. Yeah, can you hear me now? Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, so I'm uh, trying to build a niche uh, Twitter fitness page. And I'm starting medical residency in July. Um, (laughs) So I'm going to be pretty busy. But uh, do you have any advice on when you were first starting out, like how to create a content schedule while also working uh, crazy hours? Okay, so I guess my first question is, why are you fixated on building through Twitter? Honestly, it's... um, I don't know. I just feel like it's easier to uh, put my content out, you know, just firing off a quick tweet while I'm going to the bathroom or something um, than coming home, sitting on my computer 
uh, putting together scripts, editing, etc. Um, okay. Yeah, it's mainly for the convenience and also uh, the community aspect of, of Twitter. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so first thing that comes to mind, not as it pertains to like actually having a schedule or like when you want to create, I, I, it's not a great answer cause it's not a one size fit all thing, but like I'm, I'm a morning person. I like, I'm, I'm, I'm my most creative. I'm my most productive, like first thing in the morning. If I have to do, uh, like I, I did a podcast last night with, uh, with Peter Overzet and it didn't start till like nine 30 and we, went for almost like two hours by the end of it. I was like a dead person. Cause I, I never filmed that late. We were almost at like midnight and that is the, the opposite of the way I like to do my content and the way I feel like inspired. Um, so you kind of have to figure out what works for you in that sense. But what I would think about tactically is like Twitter, it might be the easiest for you to put content on. And if that's the case, think about ways, think about ways that you could take that, like those Twitter, whether it's like threads or just tweets in general and, how can you transfer that over to other platforms? And the easiest thing that came to mind immediately is if you put out really valuable tweets, TikTok has the green screen effect. That's really, really easy for you to also make like a two to three minute video, putting the tweet in your background and just talking through it. And I think that's a really, really good um, starting point for you is that you can tackle pretty much like two platforms, one of which TikTok being a really easy, growable platform with the same um value add that you're doing on Twitter. So you're not really doing double the work. You're already doing the work for the tweets that you're putting out. Now you're just using that platform natively to talk about shit that you're already um, putting out. So that's, that's probably the way I would look at it. I don't, if you're one of those people that needs to like schedule things, I've never been able to get on like a real schedule. I, I, I've tried to like box things where I'm like this, you know, Monday, 11 to three, I'm going to do work for this uh, Tuesday, 11 to three, I'm going to do work for this never really works out for me. Um, so I guess it would kind of go back to like the way that you work, what's subjective to you. If you like doing stuff in the morning, if you like doing stuff at night, um, I guess I, I could start there and see basically, you know, what you took away from that. Yeah, no, um, I, I definitely was playing on eventually doing like YouTube shorts and, you know, TikToks. I think I literally just started maybe a month ago. So I'm just getting comfortable putting myself out there. Yeah. I'm quite literally at the infancy. Um, but yeah, I, um, I think for me, I just work terribly at night. I'm just dead at the end of the day. Um, not creative at all. I think my mm -hmm. best, best times are in the morning. So it's reassuring to know that you didn't really have a content schedule. Um, I, I feel like I've heard advice of, all right, at, you know, seven to eight every single day, you're going to sit down at your desk and bang tweets out or bang content out no matter what. And yeah, I don't, I don't know if that necessarily works for me. Yeah, it doesn't work for me at all. And don't, you know, People can just give you advice. I, I can just give you my advice based on my experience. But I, I, I bet you like half the people that talk about their morning routine, like don't even actually do the morning. routine. They talk about things that they wish they were probably doing and don't actually do them. So find what works for you. If, if morning is it, guess what? Go to bed one hour earlier. Wake up one hour earlier, knowing that that one hour in the morning is is three to four times more valuable for you. Right. So just figure out what works best for you as a person don't worry about how other people there's no there's no right way to do creativity man there's no right way to like be inspired it happens at different times for different people so just just always come back to that i want okay. to point out uh something i think there's a major difference between the two reasons why you mentioned twitter one you said convenience and two you said you want to build community i think two is awesome i think one is a really bad approach to it Nick has talked about it a ton on the show as well, but 
just because a piece of content is 60 seconds does not mean it only takes 60 seconds to create. So even if a YouTube video takes three hours to create, you should probably think about uh, the quality of that video also being created on a different platform. So the people who dominate Twitter, the people who are great at Twitter, are putting in hours and hours and hours to a thread of tweets, to live reactions, because they've built up a database of GIFs to react to it. So I wouldn't say that, uh, I, I would probably bet against just, you know, firing off tweets and building community through that. Like there, there does need to be the same amount of time and energy poured into building a Twitter community, even if sending a tweet feels much easier than, you know, posting on a different platform. Yeah. yeah. I should clarify uh, a little bit. Um, yeah. So, yeah, making Twitter threads, yeah, of course, takes a while. Um, I, I guess just based off of my job and, and lifestyle, just writing in general is more convenient than sitting and, and recording. For sure. Um, yeah. But do you write Do you that. write for your job? Like what you're going to be doing, do you have assignments where you're like writing papers and stuff that you could actually, you, you should try to figure out a way that like your life is kind of full circle where you could use the stuff that you're doing in work if it cuts half the time out, you know what I mean? Yeah, no. So I'm, uh, I'm actually going to start a uh, medical residency in July. I'm, I'm a doc just graduated med school. Um, but I just really love writing, um, and kind of use this as a creative outlet in a way from the super analytical side of, of medicine. Okay. Yeah. I think what, yeah, I think Jack's point is really good. And it was something we were talking about last week where you, people start to flock to platforms where it's e easier to grow, but they also, fail to realize that growing on those platforms is not easier because you put less work into the content and just things happen on those platforms. You still need to be looking at it as if you're going to put the same amount of work in on YouTube, on Twitter, on TikTok. And that's actually how you build the community. Like showing up half-assed is going to build you a half-assed community. So just think about that when you're putting out content. Don't overextend yourself to the start. Like it sounds like you're worried how busy you're going to be and how overwhelmed you're going to be. So don't, you know, don't put any pressure on yourself being like, I have to do five threads a week from the start because that's how you're going to end up burning yourself out really, really quickly. Just start, do one, see where you're comfortable with and then like work up from there. But I would definitely from the start, if you could transfer those tweets, like I said, into TikTok as like a green screen effect and you might find out other, you might like really, really enjoy that type of content, even though you're new to it, it could take some time to get comfortable in front of the camera, but you might actually fall in love with that stuff and, and think it might be easier for you to, um, to do it. And you might be like, Hey, you know, it's cool to do these TikToks or videos in a background environment or a setting where I'm like in the hospital or, or I'm in a doctor's office or something like that. And that works towards your content. Cause I think it gives you more credibility, but these are the random things that kind of come up as you create more and more content. And as you do this for a longer period of time, you really just like, the, the the key thing here is like you never really know until you start doing things you know yeah 100 percent um yeah really appreciate both your answers cool Thank i, I want to give it a couple examples of creators putting in more time energy and quality than is traditionally expected uh mr beast on youtube he he pretty much is building like Netflix episodes, right? So people appreciate that. Will Smith on TikTok, when he was really pouring like all that insane editing going into TikTok, that's why those people grow so much quicker is because they are 
essentially outperforming what the norm is and people pretty much just respect that. So do we all have the editing capabilities and resources of Mr. Beast and Will Smith? No, but if you can level up the quality of what you're doing, whether it's just by, you know, taking a few extra hours into a tweet thread or on some other platform, that that can be a huge difference maker. Mm-hmm. Got it. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Abe. Dylon, how we doing, buddy? Chilling, chilling up by y'all. Hope everybody's having a good day. Appreciate you guys taking the time to answer questions. How's the audio doing here? Of course. Um, it's good. Here you crystal clear. Sound beautiful. Perfect. Appreciate it. I was wondering how much value you guys would put on collaborations with other creators, depending on the size of your channel and like the size of theirs as well. Currently, I like do a weekly podcast um, for a Twitter page that's trying to grow content wise, and they have like 12,000 followers to my 130. Um, so I noticed like when they promote my stuff, it gets a lot of views. Um, but how much value would you guys just put on collaborations in general? Well, what, okay, so it gets a lot of views. Does that lead to anything for you? Yeah, so um, I kind of started working with them in, like, the last month, and I've gained um, 50 extra, like, Twitter followers, which when I'm at, like, 130 is, like, a pretty sizable amount. And um, it's hard to tell how much exact growth it leads to on YouTube versus the algorithm itself, but they retweeted one of my videos when it came out and it instantly gained like an additional 30 views. So there's definitely like some mm-hmm. traffic coming my way from them as well. Okay. So, um, Jack, do you want to talk on this? I feel like you're, you're pretty in tune with like collaboration. I feel like you have pretty strong takes with it, right? Absolutely. Hate yeah. It. <laughs> yeah. Collaboration is, is absolutely massive. Uh, like anything in life, there's leverage, right? So if you have 100 followers and someone has 10,000 followers, you need to figure out what your leverage is. So if it's a basketball podcast, for example, just using that as an example, with 10,000 listeners, but you're a local Denver person, now you have leverage because they're in the finals and you can give them an inside look. Maybe there you heard them talking about uh, their finals preview and you're really good at talking X's and O's or you, you know, because you're good at X's and O's and you have an edge in sports betting, you want to go on the podcast and give their listeners value by saying, hey, we expect Aaron Gordon to dominate in game one because Miami doesn't have the size to match them. So that that's just an example of like, it's always leverage. And just because you have less followers, which I'm sure a lot of us have always struggled with is like, how do we collab with the bigger people? Uh, So you got to figure out what your leverage is in the situation. And then uh, understand that people can follow multiple people. I think that's the biggest issue is once you get to a certain size. So let's say now you're at the 10,000 deliver, you know, if you grew by delivering value, which is what Nick and I try and hammer home, if, if someone else wants to collaborate and can deliver value to your users, to your followers, then, then that's valuable. So definitely you got to get creative with, um, with collaborations. And from my experience, consistent collaboration is super beneficial. If you just have someone kind of pop in and then pop out, that's where, you know, 
maybe the crossover isn't as strong, people don't follow. But uh, then again, the consistent collaboration, if it turns into, you know, you're co-hosting a podcast, then you're kind of sharing audience forever, right? So um, there's probably sweet spots for the right collaboration. And then again, it's like, what's your goal? Is your goal really just pick up new followers, new audience? Um, or is it to kind of frame yourself as an expert in this certain space? So you got to reverse engineer what your goal of the collaboration is. But if it's just to grow, then yeah, collaboration is definitely a, a great way to do that. Yeah, like I, I collaborate with Jack on big content because I'm just trying to suck his audience because it's bigger than mine and it's a big value. Exactly. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> with collaboration, I, I think it can absolutely be a useful tool. I think you still need to be, you still need to make sure that you are like the main piece of your brand and your content. If you're trying to be a personal content creator, of course, I think there's a lot of times where one, like no one owes you a collaboration. That's the first thing to get out there. If you're asking someone for collaboration and they say no, or they don't answer you, you can't take that personally. Cause I've been on both sides of things. I've not answered people and I've said no to collaborations, but I've also asked people for collaborate uh, collaborations and been left on red plenty of times. If you take that stuff personally, it's a surefire way um, to do things wrong. So collaborations are earned. They're not given. That's the first piece of advice, I would say. Secondly, um, especially if you are, like Jack said, in a lower leverage situation, like you don't actually have much to offer that person. You need to get creative with how you get people on your platform, whether it's um, understanding what that person is really, really passionate about and being like, Hey, dude, like I, I appreciate that you're really, really passionate about this. I would love to talk to you. A lot of people will come onto your channel. The first, I think one of the first collabs I ever did on my YouTube channel was the behind the business um, fantasy football interview series I did. And the first guest I ever had for that series, I think, was Andy Holloway of the fantasy footballers. At the time, I probably had 5,000 subs on YouTube. And the footballers were, you know, not as big as they are now, but massive. The biggest players in the space, pretty much. Andy had no... Um, I had no reason to come on. But when I sent him over like the show sheet, I talked about all of this stuff that we talk about, about content and about marketing and about SEO and about like how cool it is that they're growing their brand in their business. And I knew that Andy was really, really passionate about the business side of things. So when I sent it over, he responded really, really quickly. And he was like, dude, thank you. Like, I appreciate you taking the time to like make a, um, a really intricate show sheet about this to help me understand that like your knowledgeable about the subject and this is something i'm passionate about and that was i think the reason he came on and then you can leverage guys like that but that that won't be the case always you won't be able to pull like big names but it's a it's kind of like a steady process if you can get one big name then you can get a second big name if you can get you know someone who's medium sized you can get up to the next size and the next size and the next size and i think a great example of this is uh, a friend of both jack and mine danny miranda who does a podcast basically just like interviewing really smart people from a ton of different fucking industries. And the podcasts are all extremely insightful, but they're all over the place. Like he literally had um, Lisa Ann on his podcast a, a couple months ago, and then he'll have like a scientist on his podcast. And then he'll have uh, a CEO of like a, a huge marketing. He had this, uh, the president of Shopify on just all over the place, kind of like Joe Rogan light type stuff. And he leverages the, the really popular guests before him to continue to build up. But he didn't get to do that for like years. Like he was doing podcasts and putting out video content and doing this stuff for, for like it was me and Jack were his guests for a while. Or like I've been on a show a couple of times and you start to slowly build up the leverage of, of having these name values. But the one thing I would make sure you don't like sink into, 
doing the collaborations is never going to be like the thing that sets you up for success long-term. Like even that video with Andy, while he might have 200,000 followers and stuff, that video probably has like 5,000 views to this day. There, Some of them are really important views. I think a lot of people in the space probably like looked at me differently after that interview, but that's not the thing. You're not going to go from a thousand to 10,000 subscribers because you had a hundred thousand subscriber person on your channel. So don't go into it with the mindset that you're looking to like suck a lot of value from uh, these creators and these other people. Cause that usually will not be the case. Yeah. I appreciate that. My like current situation is more, they didn't have content creators. So like what I'm providing to them is additional content as they look to grow their brand. And then for okay. me, like they have a huge following on Twitter because they're like a sports betting page. So similar audiences and just getting me more exposure. Well, you should definitely try it out then. I think there are a lot of companies out there that you do, you can collab with me and Jack have spoken about this a lot and they don't actually give you value. They'll try to bring creators on to do content for them and they'll do it and they'll work hard and they'll put a lot of time and energy into it. And then what the brand is promising them is exposure. Like exposure is one of those buzzwords you have to be really, really careful of because there are some brands that have it there are some brands that if you work with the exposure will actually be worth your time and energy and putting you know putting your time behind that content and there are other brands that don't really have the juice like that so you you need to um experiment with that and see what it does for you you know and after a month if you're like this is not actually doing anything for me you're okay to dip so i would experiment it with it early on especially if you're having the opportunity to work with a, a very very big brand like that and it sounds like it's doing more good than more harm for you right now yeah, certainly. And they have like a decent number of like connections. Um, they want me to interview this guy who was like uh, a middleman for Tim Donahue when he mm. did like the NBA like fixing. So like it'd just be like a cool opportunity that I wouldn't have gotten like if I don't didn't work with them at this point. Yeah, exactly. So so for yourself, like make sure if that's a cool value prop for you, if you find that cool, then boom, that like what the value you get out of it is up to you. Like for me, if I'm working with a brand and they're like, Hey, we're giving you access to this guy who 50% of people on Twitter might think is really cool. But like I, Nick personally don't really give a shit about this guy. It's not valuable to me. Like the outside world might say like, Hey, this is valuable. You're going to enjoy this. This is cool, but I don't care. Then, then it's zero value to me. It's zero value value to me. Right. So like make sure that the opportunities they're giving you, if you enjoy them, if you think they're valuable, then cool, then it is value. You know, there's no, there's no right way to like think about value other than the way that you value something. Word, I appreciate that. All right, we appreciate you, Dylan. Nick, you're, you had a scheduled tweet go off in the middle of the space. Um, is that a thing? Companies that reinvest 20% of their profit? Oh, uh, no, I, that video, the first thing that I said was like, I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> it was like the first line <laughs> in the video. Is that um, a thing? Yeah, can I someone, will. Can someone who works corporate let us know or who has started their own company? I've, I've never heard of that before. But me, that, Yeah, me either. That's why I kind of just got on. I was like, I don't know what that is, but here's what we do. So that, that was like how I went about answering that. Um, and I, I accidentally, I mean, happy to have him here, but I invited Tommy up. I meant to follow him back, but I accepted him up. No, that was that was perfect. I, I thought you were just being proactive and you're like, oh, there's the next guy up. Let me, uh, let me you know, get him ready. Uh -uh. Tommy, Tommy Gabagool. Hey, how's it going? Can you guys hear me okay? 
Yep. We hear um, you beautifully. This is more of a creator like macro economy question. How close are we to more social media and peer to peer like dissemination of media overtaking the traditional media? Or if at all, because I know McAfee and ESPN, that might be a like a signal that they're trying to adapt because they know that YouTube and all those companies are trying to take them over. Jack? <laughs> what do you got, Nick? That's deep. <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to, I felt like the meme popped in my head, like, oh, they got me in the first half kind of thing, where I was like, I'm Tommy, I don't even know if I'm following you at this point, but I think I understand what you're saying. And I almost, I almost like view this as more um, like political. And not because I really care for politics or that's a, an argument or anything I want to get into right now, but that absolutely expedited the way that big media and individual creators, I think, um, had control over like the social atmosphere because we collectively got so sick of like politicians lying to us and we had at scale people that were outside of like the inside circle be able to speak to us. And I think that helped expedite where the world is going and it's it 100 is gonna eventually get to the point where the individual creators i guess you can say will be the ones that take over the espns of the world now it'll be up to each company and each brand to basically decide what direction they want to go in like does if you just bring on 10 pat mcafee's is that just espn all over again you know what i mean like or is it a new wave of media companies it's one of the reasons that i respect barstool so much. I don't, you know, watch or listen to all their content, not even close to it, but the way they've built the media company is the exact reverse of how every other traditional media company has built it out. The traditional media company has always been like, we are the infrastructure. The executives at the company are the ones that push this thing forward. Where if you look at Barstool and if you look at most of the modern day media companies that will be successful over the next 10 years, it will be individual first. You will be powered by the five or seven individual creators that are able to build audience and influence the way that people think. So I think we're probably a little bit farther off than we care to admit. Same thing with a lot of um, types of technology out there. Like everyone talks about, you know, VR and AR and all that kind of stuff. And even like AI with like ChatGPT, there are cool things that you could do with it, but it's still so far off from being a super, super practical part of everyday life. Like there are specific use cases for it, but I think most of those things take way longer than the general public um, thinks they're going to say. So I definitely think we're moving in that direction, but it's hard to predict the future. I, I, maybe five years, 10 years, something like that. I know JL is giving me a thumbs down because he fucking loves AI. That's why I looked at his face and I was like, okay, maybe specific jobs can be really good with it. All right. I altered, I pivoted on the path of my response, JL. Put, the thumb, put a thumbs up back in there. Don't disrespect me. Nope. No one's going to speak after that. Jack, Tommy, don't leave me hanging here, please. Um, I it's tough. It's tough to to essentially shift industries, but you know we went from the newspaper, I guess, to online. Um, it's just when it reaches a point where the distribution matches it. So while social media, like I I, I get reminded about this all the time in like. You know, I've been lucky enough to go on TV a few times and TV, the channels that I were on definitely did not bring the fame and notoriety of some other channels. But you think about like 
who are the biggest social media people? Like, I guess Mr. Beast, for example. Um, he's hitting 80 million people in a video. He's, but, like, there's still plenty of everyday people that have never in a million years heard of him. And then you contrast that with, like, any TV or movie star uh, or, you know, LeBron James or anyone who, who is active on those platforms, and they just kind of blow away creators. And that's the top – like, how many people know Mr. Beast in comparison to how many people know, you know, The Rock or even down to, like, your regular A-list uh, movie or TV star? So I still do think we're, like, fairly far away from that happening. But we have seen a ton of disruption in the, you know, in the television and, and on-screen model versus social media. Like all these regional sports networks are absolutely falling apart because the, the model isn't there versus creators who do kind of have that model. So uh, I think we're fairly far away from it. But you also do see on the flip side these TV networks using creators. Logan Paul and KSI are going on WWE. Pat McAfee is going on ESPN. So they're almost going to – they've gotten to the point where they, they're being shown on TV. Uh, so I wonder if, if that trend continues, does it flip the script? But I, I still think it's pretty far away. Yeah, I also think what might – expedited too it's so hard to really predict how this is going to play out but i think most of the changes that happen nowadays come from like social media outrage so it's like the people that do actually push the change are also the ones watching and investing into the social creators so i almost feel like there's a way i still think there's probably like a few big things that need to happen in order for these big changes to take place pat mcafee is a good example of that but like let's say Mr. Beast wants to run for like the mayor of his town. He probably wins that race. If he wants to end up being like the governor, he ends up winning that race. And I think as we see, I know it's an insane example, but I actually know. But, but the funniest part is you say that, but then it's like, well, Trump got big because he went on TV. Like he got right. president because, you know, that that's kind of the level to it. Uh, that's yeah. what I was trying to say. Yeah, 100%. I, I do think that like we'll see as as those actual practical like events happen and more people recognize um how powerful the platforms are i think these uh these bigger companies will eventually start shifting some of their like budget and their what they're doing on tv to social media and some of them obviously have been doing it for the last 10 years or so but we'll eventually start to see you kind of got to just follow the money when it comes to these big companies and we'll, we'll see that be like the shift in in um in social taking more of a control over like the influence in culture it's it's also a question of like, at what point is, is YouTube not social media? You know, like they, all right. So yeah. now they're going to stream NFL games. They have YouTube TV. So is that social media TV or is that just a social media plot? Like it's the world's biggest video search engine. So I think it's, it's less so will social media. It's more like what kind of platform will lead the charge? Like is Twitch social media, you know? Because that's yeah. live. That could be considered live TV in a lot of ways. It's like we're working towards an all-encompassing, just like one communication platform. And I think that's what Elon is trying to do with Twitter, realistically. I think he's trying to make it the home for communication and the home for video and podcasts. And I actually think, I think the hardest platform in order to like solidify yourself on is what Twitter offers as just like a very plain text-based communication 
texting platform. You know what I mean? Like you text with your friends and that's the easiest form of communication. All these other platforms are way more creator looking down at the consumer where Twitter is way more, you know, one-to-one peer-to-peer. So I almost feel like they have a better foothold if there is going to be a platform that becomes all-encompassing and becomes like the, you know, as he said, basically like the town hall for where all things happen. I kind of feel like they have an underrated head start on how that could happen. All right. Um, you got anything else, Tommy? So in terms of investing, it would be a good time to like invest in individual creators that might blow up and just spread your money out through. Um, if you can, I, I don't know many individuals that are looking to take on investment money per se, but yeah, I, I think over the next 10 years, the easiest investment is going to be, into individual creators as they make more platforms where they could like raise money. Cause if you think about, I, I talked to JL about this a lot and Jack too, but a business runs with two core principles, distribution and product, right. And creators already inherently have the really hard part about it as distribution. So if you can, I mean, you see the power of it when dudes like Jake Paul create products, but you see the power of it when like a company like us makes products, we already have the distribution and we're not viral. We're not, that big compared to like many creators and brands out there, but it's really, really powerful having the distribution. We can make any product we want and be able to sell it. So when someone starts a company nowadays, they're like, we're doing a startup. They have nothing. They don't have a product or distribution. They'll build the product out for a year, two years, and then be like, oh, now we need to worry about the distribution. I would argue the distribution is a really hard part. Once you have that, you have a ton of leverage. So creators are in this unique position and will continue to be really, really powerful over the next 10 years. And we'll see a shift of like the more monetization for creators is without a doubt, more self-monetization, them building out their own product services pipelines, then continuing to rely on like sponsorships and ads and uh, affiliate type stuff. Um, So I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see platforms build out where like individuals can, can raise money. They can raise a seed round. They can raise a series a with like public money and their fans and audiences money. Thank you. Appreciate you, Tommy. All right. Um, Jack, I think I think that's probably all the time I have right now. Are you uh, – what are you doing right now? Are you traveling? Are you in Denver? No, no. Uh, we're going to go tomorrow or Sunday. Okay. Um, well, I'm, but I'm yeah, probably going to – I'm good, too. I'm good to go. I got to go get lunch. All right. Same. What are you getting for lunch? Naya? Uh, I don't know. Should we have people guess? Yeah, that sounds like a good piece of content. <laughs> I don't know what I'm getting though. <laughs> uh, I actually I just realized I ordered like a dozen or maybe two dozen donuts to the office like an hour and a half ago because it's National Donut Day. Is it? Yeah, I saw Brett tweet that out. I didn't know, but as soon as mm. I saw it, I was like, "We gotta rip these." And where now did you just Where did you order from? Uh. Don't, I think Donuttery, maybe? You ever had that? No. Uh, I don't even know if that's right. Interesting. I was going to order from this like artisanal place. It's literally $75 for a dozen donuts. And I'm like, listen. Yeah. Like, I know I've been sitting up here flexing for like 75 minutes, but we really don't have we really don't have that in us, you know? Yeah, your billionaire uh, Twitter bio doesn't come through with the donuts, I understand. <laughs> billionaire that can't afford donuts. Yeah, it was donutery. All right, uh, thank you guys for hanging out. We're going to upload this to the podcast feed as well if you want to listen to the entire thing. I think 
I should be able to jump on here every single Friday around 1 p.m. Eastern time to continue doing this. So if you enjoyed these, um, you can come meet us back here at 1 o'clock next Friday. Peace, everyone. Thank you, guys. Love you.